Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Prodigy Edition, and I'm your host, Captain Michael Flores. Yeah, I'm a captain. Captain of the USS <laughs> Rainman Digital, and in the studio with me is Ensign. Someday you'll get a promotion, but I like to I like to hold you down, kind of like Janeway held down uh, Kim for seven years. And now she seems to be appearing, uh, doing it to Doll in this episode. Yeah, well, he needs to be held down. He's like, he has a lot to learn. Ensign Kim makes him look like, uh, no, he makes Ensign Kim look like Admiral material. Admiral material. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So if you are new to our show, you can find us on. What was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. (laughs) You lost your train of thought already. Ensign Kim threw me off. I'll blame him. (laughs) Uh, If you're new to our show, we do cover a wide variety of Star Trek content. You can find our podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is iTunes because people can leave reviews and ratings, which does, in fact, help us quite a bit. The more ratings we get, preferably five star, it triggers the algorithms and more people see our show. Thank you. All right. So today, David, you and I are going to be talking about season one, episode three, not episode two. I was unaware, even though I knew last episode was part one and two, part one and two, I it just completely went over my head that that was episode one and two. So I was confused when they were promoting episode three this week. I'm like, wait a second, what happened to episode two? And then I realized that we actually reviewed episode one and two. So today we are talking episode three titled star struck. And dude, I am so thankful we got, episode one and two together because I think coming off of that given us enough. Yeah. It wouldn't have given us enough and get to this point in starstruck where now we're, now we're hitting all cylinders. Yeah. We're, we're definitely where we need to be. Just want to say that I think we need to give a moment of silence uh, to show our appreciation for hologram Janeway drinking coffee. <laughs> Dude, I fucking laughed. I was like, that is fucking amazing. Yes, it was. I was so, I was giddy when she shows up at the end and she's like holding her cup of coffee. And I'm like, going, wow, that just doesn't, that never gets old. Yeah. <laughs> she's a hologram, but who gives a fuck? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't but make any I sense. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Keep drinking coffee, Janeway. <laughs> so this episode was written by Chad Quant, I want to say is how you pronounce his last name and the synapsis. Even with the guidance of their hologram advisor, Janeway, the crew of the Protostar is tested when their ship is on a dangerous cosmic collision course. So looking at this episode through the lens of a new viewer or a new fan of Star Trek, which is what I'm going to be doing throughout. I'm going to try my best to do that, to see what they're trying to do. Because as we know, this show is purposely geared toward the newer fan, the younger fan. Younger, that's the key, th- that's the key word there. Yes. Younger. 
Yes, the Target demo being young, fresh faces, essentially the future of the Trek fandom. It works, in my opinion. It works quite well with how they're utilizing Janeway as an instructor. It's a bit meta because she's being used to instruct the kids on the ways of the Federation and Starfleet. And by doing so, she's teaching the younger audience. So it's quite clever. And it's a smart way to to essentially explain, because I'm not a fan of exposition. And how do you explain the Federation Starfleet without sounding like you are going through an exposition dump? Well, here we go. We have a group of people who have no idea what any of this is. So let me go through a 30-second spiel and make sure not just the, 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 the characters know. It's not for your benefit. No, it's for the young, fresher, future trek fandom and if you think about it dude i mean star trek star trek is a franchise that is their bread and butter it's the ability to tell a story but also kind of give their own give their own narration to the audience you know the the ability to basically not just tell a story but give meaning to that story and that's always been a trek trope it's part of the philosophy it's why it's why we always talk about star trek philosophy why because every single piece of star trek has that really great gift of being able to break the fourth wall or even treat the entire series like there is no fourth wall or there's a lesson to be learned yes exactly yeah and i i hope sticking with your line of for a second here, Dave, I, I hope they continue to do what they did in this episode, teaching kids the importance of humility and teamwork, yes. which is definitely one of the themes of the episode. Uh, there are also some Voyager parallels that work quite well, particularly because of Janeway's involvement in the story. Oh, yeah. The whole wayward crew will have to work together if they hope to survive in the Delta Quadrant. Well, there's trying to create like not just a this capable crew, but get this group to be almost like a family unit. Yeah. Yeah. To to represent the utopian uh, parameters of the Federation. Yeah. So I I dig what they did in this episode. Now, I'm not typically, David, I'm not typically a fan of conditioning children by way of kid television shows. Uh, I find many times the ideology of some of these shows is at times bothersome. Uh, I have a son and uh, a child, and there have been times watching those kid shows, and I'm like, what are you fucking teaching my kid right now? Wow. (laughs) You know, and I'm not talking about progressive ideals, just certain things that I pick up on that's very, that's problematic in my opinion. I don't want someone else inculcating things into my child, but the ethical and moral principles of Star Trek, I feel in many ways, are universal. It isn't to be debated. So when you're teaching kids the basics of ethics, which is what Star Trek at its core is about, it's about yeah. ethics and morality from a utopian lens. That's the, the concept of Star Trek, that we have risen above, we have progressed you know, to a point in human society that we are better than what we were and we have run from our past we don't forget it because we need to remember what we've done but we don't allow it to hinder our progress any longer so the ethics and more and morals of star trek are universal so if 
this show uses that as a way to teach kids the basics of ethics and morals, I'm fucking fine with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the way that Star Trek does it, too, is it it doesn't simply make it, you know, black and white or no. right or wrong. It just poses it out there. It poses the it questions. Poses it the makes, questions. It makes us as the audience and the people who are watching the story and watching the narration unfold have us come up with our own exactly answers and, and see and that's the beautiful thing about the earlier iterations of star trek and when i say earlier i mean uh the original series uh, i am talking about next generation and deep space nine specifically those three they very rarely had episodes in fact i can't even point to any where they were absolute in an idea or a concept philosophically. Yeah. In fact, in TNG, Picard wrestled with ideas and made decisions that were borderline questionable at times, not from a morality standpoint, but possibly an argument or debate to be made in terms of ethics. You know, especially when you look at the prime directive and what it means and how you cannot uh, interfere with a species, a pre-warp civilization, even Mm -hmm. if a volcano is about to erupt and murder them because that's the natural progress of their species. So, I mean, that's definitely questionable, Mm -hmm. but that's the ethics of Star Trek. And to see them, our characters sometimes wrestle with those ethics. I think that's what Star Trek's always been about. It's not about saying, hey, look, this is the right way to think. This is what you should do. No, it's about posing those questions and allowing the audience to draw their own conclusions. Did, you know, Commander Sisko make the right decision when he created a farce hologram our holodeck program to bring the Romulans into their camp, into their camp. Yes. They made the dominion look like they did something like they were planning an attack on Romulus so that the Romulans would join their, their confederation, their union against the dominion. And that was one of the darkest episodes I've ever watched. And they didn't tell you Cisco was wrong. It left it open ended. -ended. You decide, will this come back and haunt Cisco? So bringing it back to Prodigy, it would be a huge missed opportunity if the writers don't include some basic tenets of philosophy in the way of morals and ethics. Well, the thing that made it, made me comfortable in this uh, episode in regards to that was the fact that they just didn't make Dull sound immature. Like, oh, he's making these decisions because he's immature. He's a kid. No. They actually gave they, they throughout the episode uh, during the episode they gave reasons why Dahl is doing the things he's doing. You know, like why does he uh, why why does he dislike the hologram and federation because he has no trust for authority. Look what authority has done to him. And when they brought that up, I was like, okay, we're this is good. This is decent writing then because in a normal bad writing that tries to tackle philosophy and, you know, miss it by a hundred miles, they wouldn't do that. They would not, they would not at least pose the other side of the argument. Oh, David. Yes, you're absolutely right. Because that was a, a moment that I really liked because yes, we as an audience understand that the Federation Starfleet for the most part represents fantastic ideals for a universe, right? That's, that's what they stand for. We know that. But that doesn't mean there aren't areas to question and to have Dal do that in that way and bring up the question. Well, should I listen to authority or should I question? Should I have the intelligence 
to ask my own questions rather than simply rolling over and saying, yes, ma'am, which individualism is a big part of Star Trek, even though Star Trek's built on socialist ideology in a lot of way, a lot of ways, they also have been about the individual opposed to the collective. That's why the Borg was fucking amazing because of the collective versus the individual. And you see that that aspect of Star Trek being brought in by having Dal question the authority of hologram Janeway and the Federation. Exactly. Not just the authority of Janeway, but the idea of the Federation. Why should why should we trust them? And then he brings up the fact that the Protostar was a stolen ship. And he's like going, why should we, why should, why would the Federation ever offer anybody aid? And then all valid questions. Now, normally if it was like uh, a typical kids show, they would have done like what all of everyone in the beginning of the show with all the characters, what do they do? Sure. Janeway, whatever you say, doll's the only one that says, no, I'm not going to do what you say because I don't trust you. And we needed that because I feel like at surface value, people may think, oh, it's just a rebellious kid. But it's more than that. It it actually shows that Dell. Is it doll or Dell? I keep forgetting doll. It shows that doll has actually leadership qualities. The fact that he is questioning things rather than simply saying, "Okay, sure, I'll do what you say. He's showing leadership skill. If. Picard or Kirk were put in the exact same scenario. You don't think they would ask questions? Oh yeah, come on. Why yeah. does God need a starship? The best <laughs> best questioning of authority ever. Yeah. Yeah. So teaching kids the differences between ethical objectivism versus ethical subjectivism is one example that I hope they get into. For example, in this episode, we find out that Rock is it Rock? I'm still trying to learn these characters' names. It's Rocks or Rock. It's rock rock. We find out that rock has never had any other food than what was given them in prison. The the, the neutrino slime thing. Yes. And I assume that implies that she's been a prisoner her whole life. And I hope we explore the issues of child labor and enslavement. I mean, isn't that what they're doing? If Star Trek were ever fully to return to its roots and give us those philosophical vignettes This is the opportunity to do so in this show. It's the perfect arena for those types of things. Let's get into questioning slavery for the fact that rock knows nothing else. Yeah. Rock may think that slavery is okay because in their part of the quadrant, it's a part of life. And to some, they can justify it. Rock may be able to justify why he's a slave or why she's a slave which is a version of ethical subjectivism. So if we bring in ethical objectivism, you know, which for the most part deals with universal beliefs, universal ideals, like, Hey, um, I think most people can agree that you should not burn a infant and then eat them. I think most people can agree. That's an example of ethical objectivism. And if you can agree on four or five uh, objective tenets of ethics, then that is how you govern your society. Yeah. It's why the prime directive in Star Trek works so well, because that is an objective law right there. Mm-hmm. And and think about like, not like every single character in at least the majority of the characters in this episode have that moment of actually true character development where you actually see them each 
We get a bit from all of them, yeah. Dealing with, you know, like, uh, I'm going to, well, it's probably best to say it, like a traumatic life. Absolutely. I mean, they were, they, were, they were slaves. And then, like, you not only see that, but also through Gwen, who's coming from the position of being, like, on the upper food chain, so to speak, in the, in society. But this whole time, she's always thought that everybody that was in that camp was a prisoner. Just right. a prisoner, not a slave, but a prisoner. But this is where, exactly, this is where, again, ethical objectivism versus ethical, ethical subjectivism exactly. can come into play. Because Gwen, in her life, obviously slavery is okay. Because she never tried to do anything, and she felt like they had all Committed a crime. Committed a crime because they were prisoners. And crime or not, I think a lot of people can agree that a child should not be put into a slave camp. <laughs> well. So I want to see some deprogramming from Gwen's side. I want to see her be challenged through Federation philosophy that she then has to now question her entire way of life and the way she was raised and even now question, which I'm sure that's what they're doing in this episode or what they were doing in this episode. She's starting to look at her father as someone that uh, might not be who he claims who, to be. Yeah. That he is the bad guy of this story. I mean, there were definitely those moments where oh, yeah. you saw her ponder those thoughts. And it's amazing that we're getting this type of storytelling in a third with three episodes with three episodes in a animated cartoon cartoon that's meant for kids. Yeah. When you're talking about comparisons to not only that, but the one comparison I thought of is like, think of how like North Koreans, a lot of reports from North Koreans who defect over. Mm hmm. They have to deal with suddenly coming to a realization, oh, wait, this whole for like majority of my life, I was told this is the way this is the right. best. This is how you live. And then suddenly they go over to another place and they find out, no, 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 that that's you're this isn't doing, normal. I'm this sorry isn't to tell normal. <laughs> yeah, this is actually this is the other side. And basically you can do this. Yeah, you, you do have personal freedoms. You're touching on like parallels like that in a kid's show. Yeah. And I'm like going... And I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I think that this is a good beginning it is. of a Star Trek series. It is. I'm not going to argue with that. I like Picard. Oh, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Don't get me angry. I was happy for a moment. I was happy. Okay, so David, a vehicle replicator? Have we ever seen that before? Because if not, I love it. No, we haven't. But honestly, dude, I mean, it this makes... ship, the Protostar, I cannot wait. This this is so nerdy of me I right now. I know what you're going to say. I cannot wait till they release the blueprints of the Protostar they're because they're going it. to do it. They'll give us the art of Star Trek Prodigy. Book. Star Trek Prodigy. They do it for all Star Treks. Yeah. Or even the manual to like the, the ship, uh, the the ship itself, manuals, the, the yeah. technology manuals yeah. that they always get. I'm waiting for the Protostar because... It has two warp cores, which makes sense if it's based off of Voyager, mm -hmm. because remember Voyager's uh, the system at the very end of Voyager was so advanced it was the fastest ship in the Federation. Yeah, because they they engineered the ship to travel faster to get back home. Yeah, <laughs> and now you have the Protostar who has that same technology just revamped and basically engineered to perfection. And on top of that, 
they have the replicators that quite honestly I I find believable, especially after Voyager where you're oh, dealing yeah. with like holograms. Listen, the, the whole hologram technology, of course you Dave, can actually do if it. If Discovery is going to have holographic cells, exactly. and Picard is going to have an android body that he's going to put his fucking no, brain into. No, 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 And the androids, you know, Data's offspring, ha- they have devices that you just have to use your imagination no, 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 to no, no. fix things. Picard's technology doesn't make sense. <laughs> it doesn't, but I'm it saying doesn't. that if you could have fucked up technology that doesn't make sense, this is a return to form. Yes. Star Trek has always had technology that sure is considered French science, but French science many times is rooted in actual science. And all French science is, is science that hasn't been proven yet. Yeah. So I'm okay with that. Especially it does make sense when you have replicators that can create food of any type. They can create uniforms and weapons. Why wouldn't the next logical step be? to replicate vehicles vehicles which dave we do need to be careful because i mean then you have an endless supply of shuttles and that (laughs) that that could lead into some dangerous territory in the ways of writing i want to be a little careful with that but i'm okay with it overall it does work i like it yeah same here i mean like especially if the protostars like the discovery you remember in discovery we had we both like the wow what the fuck is the drive the mycelial drive mycelial drive yeah like we both like the idea the spore drive the spore drive we both like the idea but we both said fuck dude this is in the original series time frame you got to be careful there's no spore drives ever in star trek that we've seen and the way they ended up reworking it the fact that it was a prototype st- starship and then of course they they moved into the future and uh that now justifies why we don't have spore drives yes now same thing here the protostar is a prototype so yes. it's going to have technology that may not be mainstreamed yet across starfleet and the federation and also you got thrown the the series itself takes place in the future of star trek it, we don't um it's yes it is slightly into the it's future. slightly into the future it's not yeah. like discovery no 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 it's not yeah. like discovery or even picard it's before picard it's well. even it's before picard but i mean like the the technology still makes sense no, because yeah. it has to go that progression. Yeah, from I where, agree. Where where we have seen. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of the protostar, there's a few things we learned. Now, you, I'm surprised you didn't mention this when you're talking about the warp drive, the double, the dual, the warp, dual drive. warp drive. There was also something that what, Pog is that his name? Yeah, Jack uh, Jackom. Jackom Pog. Pog. Isn't that a porn thing, Pog? <laughs> that's P A W G. That's embarrassing. But anyways, Hog, if that's his name, yes, it is. He had looked at something and said, "What's this?" So there's also something else in that engineering room that we don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah it was some of kind technology. of technology. It was a, some kind of mysterious system that they found. Could it be kind of- like a trans warp? type thing would you be surprised because it, if it's based off of voyager yeah i mean you they have, have to have it yeah it has have. to have the transwarp drive 
I mean, we have to start seeing some technology advancements because of Voyager and the fact that they came in, they came back home in a hybrid ship that was like 50% Borg technology. <laughs> Do you think Starfleet flew that, threw that away? No, no fucking, fucking way. way. They probably fucking reverse engineered the shit out of that. <laughs> so if we have some advanced technology because of that, that would make perfect sense. In fact, if they don't have that in future iterations of Star Trek, I'll be upset. I would be upset. I'd be upset because it's like, what the hell do you guys think? I I can understand. I can understand. Like, say, for example, like, are there ethical reasons why they wouldn't use more technology? Maybe. Or even like in, like in, let's, let's take in a discovery's point of view that basically a great cataclysm happens and, you know, all technology gets shut off. Okay. But like, if you just don't say that basically the Federation didn't take the, yeah. the didn't take what they learned from Voyager when it right. comes back and just said, Oh, you know what that ship? Yeah, just throw it away. It's okay. Decommission it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so on top of that, we also learned a few additional things about the Protostar. Hol- Hologram Janeway was programmed to assist the crew. Yes. We don't know who this crew was supposed to be on their journey back to Federation space. Adding more to the mystery behind the protostar. Also, she said that she's not there to command, only run, only run the lower level functions of the ship. So I am looking forward to finding out the mystery behind the protostar, why it was there, who was the crew supposed to be, how did the diviner come 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 to the knowledge of its existence? How does it know of the Federation? Dave, three episodes in, and we have a fucking mystery. And do you realize that this Janeway, this Janeway is, has the personality of Janeway when she's older. A little she more almost, wiser. She's a bit, she's a bit more motherly. Oh, come on. Simmer down. Don't, don't diminish her sexuality. Oh, dude, dude. If, if oh, Janeway, Janeway's a, yes. Janeway's a MILF. Yeah. And, okay? not, and when I say mothers, I'm not talking about mine. Okay. Simmer <laughs> down. I'm talking about general. General. MILFs, David, if you will. Right? Yes. Sometimes even gilfs. Even gilfs. Hey, hey, you know, Whoopi Goldberg still looks good. And so does you with that. <laughs> Why? But, Why? But anyways, anyways. You have to ruin my, I was getting all into Janeway. And when I think about Janeway, I start thinking about seven to nine. It's a whole thing. And then I start shipping both of them at the same time with Jakotay. Ensign Kim comes in. I'm like, oh, my God, what's happening? What a wonderful tea party. A picture Kate Milgrew now. Kate Milgrew now. Why are you ruining things? (laughs) Anyways. All right. So what is Chimerium? Star Trek Prodigy Prodigy is the first show. That it's been mentioned. And well, let me let me rephrase that. It's the first canon canon compliant iteration of Trek that has mentioned Chimerium. Now, according to Memory Alpha fandom, the only entry for Chimerium is from this show. Chimerium was a luminescent orange crystalline mineral. It was valued in a region of the Delta Quadrant with a single large crystal sufficient to purchase a small starship. It could also be used to create a Chimerium cloak, which we saw in this episode. Tars Lamora was rich in Chimerium, particularly in the Deep Core. It was mined by slave labor, as we have seen in this show, and ruled by the Diviner. So that is the only entry that we have that is canon compliant for Chimerium. 
So we aren't quite sure what Chimerium is fully about. Is it native only to the Delta Quadrant? Either way, I have a feeling that it's going to play a bigger role in this show. Now, there are some clues. If you go to the non-canon site uh, of the Star Trek wiki, they do have an entry for Chimerium. It was a rare mineral with a natural sensor blocking and phaser reflecting properties. And it was first introduced into the ebook Invincible, The Next Generation, a Time 2 novels. So, that being said, can we derive some meaning from that? Or is that purely coincidence that Chimerium was used in a non canon compliant book? And now it's being reworked into canon by way of Star Trek Prodigy. We shall see. We shall it see. can't be a coincidence, right? I no. mean, Chimerium and Chimer- that's that's not really a a popular word. No. And it's definitely a play on dilithium and all oh, yeah, the energy sure. sources that is found in Star Trek. Yeah. So is and and the thing I do like too. If it is actually only found in the Delta Quadrant, that adds more more story to actually even the universe that Voyager started. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we barely scratched the surface with the Delta Quadrant because you got to remember Voyager just tried to speed along yeah. <laughs> and get out of Dodge as fast as possible. But then didn't they, they only stopped once in a while to see, Hey, what's this energy source? And they'd usually find like strange anomalies. And that's right. usually how episodes would go. Sometimes it would stop. So Janeway can, you know, get plowed. By a hologram. She's a very sexual lady. <laughs> I still say that my favorite scene. So inappropriate. We're talking about Nickelodeon kids show. No, no, no. My oh, favorite... We don't give a fuck, do we? No, no, no. Because I'm sorry. This is the same show, Voyager, that basically Janeway looked at a hologram and told it, I want him taller. Yeah. She <laughs> shaped She shaped her own version of a perfect man. Of a perfect man. And then when they had to delete the program, she was like, do you have to delete all of it? Can you save something? something. <laughs> so she was into it. She was into Good it for her. I love her. All right. So let's move into our final thoughts and our RMD score. David, I want you to start things off. Keep it brief. Okay. Briefly, score right away is a 90. I'm giving this episode wow. a 90. It's it's a really Prodigy has got gotten off to a good start. And in particularly with episode three, now we got to see more of the Star Trek bones of the series in this episode than like in part one and two when they're trying to set up their narrative. We got to actually see more about the protostar, which I am I was giddy about because I wanted to know as a Star Trek fan. I want more exactly as a Star Trek fan. The ship is always a character. You, we yep. want to know every single little nacelle of the ship, every single knowledge. Mm-hmm. And Protostar, do you realize... We want to get inside all their Jeffrey's tubes. <laughs> we want to get all up in it. Do you realize the Protostar, <laughs> besides Discovery, and if you think about Discovery is an old ship. The Protostar is actually a newer ship, and it's... The, at, least, at least, I mean, we're assuming. We're assuming. Yeah. We're assuming. But the Protostar is one of the more brand new ships we've been introduced to the moment they release a model of it i'm buying it oh easily yeah i think the pro star is a beautiful ship yeah so 90 percent. okay 90%. i'm really i'm actually getting really invested in the show yeah 
I will say that I I love Lower Decks, and you can't really compare the two because Lower Decks is a and satire. Shouldn't. Yeah, but this is more my thing. Like I do love comedy, but and I do love Lower Decks. I'm not going to take away from their success or their great writing from a satirical side. But this show has an opportunity to do some things that Lower Decks can't do. And I'm hoping the writers truly dig deep. And so far, I'm okay with what they're doing. I like that they're finding their moments to give us little Star Trek bits. You know, the classic elements that we all expect from Star Trek. So I'm going to give this episode an 84%. It is a strong installment. We are just getting started. There's so much more to learn. And I love that the show has created this general uh, mystery that uh, keeps the viewer invested. Like I am very interested in finding out what this is all about. So I'm excited. And David, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. But before we go, I want to remind people that we do have a Patreon page. And I would love for people to help us out and subscribe. We do need the assistance of our listeners. So if you go to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and pledge uh, $5 or more a month, you'll gain access to our behind the scenes tier where we drop pre-shows every single episode. And the pre-shows are basically many shows where we talk about whatever is recent in the world of Star Trek news, uh, maybe some thoughts on on discovery that we might have missed or elements that we can't fit into the regular show. And then, of course, with that $5 option, you also receive additional Star Trek from the Holodeck podcast episodes, full podcast episodes where we break down books, comics. Uh, we get into actual specific topics, sometimes a, a specific set of ideological aspects of Star Trek that they have expressed views in, say, Deep Space Nine or TNG. We've talked about the Maquis and Q and the Borg. It's endless, endless. And once you subscribe to that tier, you're going to gain access to all of that plus future discussions. And we do need that help. We do. We don't make a lot of money on this network. Uh, most of us work for free. We do it for the love, but we still have expenses. So yes. I keep the lights on. Yeah. So I want to thank everyone for listening. And thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.